All right, let's go ahead and get started. So grab your seat. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me again to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're, we're moving along in this um, short four-week series on, on practical living in the last days. I was always taught that if it ain't practical, it ain't preaching. So I, I, I try to live by that. And it truly is what we're trying to accomplish in this series. We want to give you some very practical tools to help you prioritize your, lo- your life in preparation of meeting the Lord. And honestly, it doesn't matter when that time comes or even how it arrives. The fact is, these priorities are how we should live our lives all the time. So if the rapture is this year, or years down the road, that shouldn't change your preparation process. We all need to be actively and consistently working on applying the priorities of 2 Timothy 4-7 all the time. But we're talking about it in in this level of detail because I think we all know that proper priorities are sometimes elusive, especially in these last days. And there's no doubt that we've seen a drift of the church's viewpoint of priorities over time. So let me give you an example. Um, A few years ago, uh, a guy by the name of David Platt, he's a Reformed Southern Baptist, um, so I wouldn't be at the top of my recommendation list, but, but he wrote a book titled Radical. And it was quite popular, you know, in evangelical circles for a while, and it talked about, you know, the, the radical lifestyle of missional living today. And, and, and it's fine, it had some good, good things in it, I read it. The thing I find interesting is that Watchman Nee basically wrote the same book based on a series he preached some 70 years earlier, And the title of that book and sermon series was The Normal Christian Life. So somehow, as we've worked our way through Laodicea, that which was normal has become radical. But I want to try to break that. And I want you to understand without any doubt that everything we're talking about in this series should be normal. It should be part of your everyday life. And and if it is not, then there's a problem somewhere that you need to fix. There's a motivational quote that I've actually seen attributed to a few different people throughout the years. It It doesn't matter who said it or when they said it. But it's basically this. It says, you you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And that, as well as anything, describes the point of this series. We're talking about getting ready and being ready for the rapture. But if we would just incorporate these principles of 2 Timothy 4-7 into our life and do it on a daily basis that they're just part of us, then we wouldn't have to get ready. We'd be ready. And we'd stay ready. That should be the normal Christian life. We should stay, keep fighting a good fight against our flesh, like we talked about last week. And we should stay on course so that we can finish it so that we can finish the course that God has given us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's go ahead and look at at, at this section of Scripture again. We'll look at at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And then we're going to dive into that second phrase of of 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them the love has appearing. So let's pray, and, and as I'm praying, I encourage you to go to the Lord and, and, and pray yourself this morning and ask that God would show you and, and teach you exactly what it is that you need. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. We're so thankful for the time that we have uh, to be together this morning, we, as we as we consider this weekend and what you know this weekend uh, means for our country, uh, the Memorial Day, and look back on those that that went before. Lord, we're we're so grateful and we're thankful for the freedoms that we do have, the freedom to worship you, the freedom to share the gospel. Um, it's not like that 
in, in other places of the world, and, and yet it is, is here. Lord, we ask that you um, keep it that way, um, Lord, so that, that we can continue uh, to, to, to do the job that you've given us to do so that we can finish our course uh, faithfully to you. Lord, I pray that you teach us this morning, that your Holy Spirit does the work that only he can do. I pray that everything is said is true to your word. I pray that it is uh, honoring and glorifying to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like we've already noted, what we're going to try to do this morning is, is dissect that second phrase of 2 Timothy 4-7 um, when Paul said he finished his course. We talked about fighting a good fight last week. And so now we're going to see what it means to finish our course. But before we get into this too deeply, we do need to lay some groundwork and make sure we're all on the same page with respect to definitions. And there are two things that we need to define. First, we need to define the course itself. We need to define the course. We need to define what that means according to what the Bible has to say. Because we already know from previous weeks that Paul is at the end of his life. But I want to be very clear that we do not get that from this phrase. We get that from verse 6 when he said, I'm ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. So when Paul says, I finished, I have finished my course, he is not saying my life is ending. Now, again, his life was ending, but that is not the point he is making there. The point he is making with that phrase is that he had accomplished what it was that God had given him to do. And we know this because the Bible is self-defining and self-interpreting. And, and that's what the Bible tells us. So, for example, you see the same phrase used in connection with John the Baptist. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 25, we see this. And it says, as John, speaking of John the Baptist, fulfilled his course... When he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. And this is actually a quote from Matthew chapter 3, before Jesus was baptized. And, and what I want you to see is that wasn't when John died. It wasn't the end of his life. In fact, he was imprisoned in Matthew chapter 4, and he wasn't beheaded until Matthew chapter 14. But he finished his course in this Matthew chapter 3 account. And that's because his course was the job that God had given him to do. It was, and his job was to pave the way for Jesus. And, so, and that is exactly how the word is defined, as your job. In fact, it could even be defined as your career. You just have to think spiritual and not physical. It's a job that God has given us to, to, to do for him while we are here on this earth. It's what we see in verses like Ephesians 4.1. Says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That's your course. Paul also defines it with another word that we're very familiar with in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, and that is ministry. So look at see how the Bible defines itself here. It says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You see it again in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul's giving instructions for a guy named Archippus, and he says, And say unto Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. That's the course. The course is your ministry, your calling, the job God's given you to accomplish on this earth. And while that is quite basic, very easy to understand, I do want you to consider something in light of that definition. Because when we think of our physical jobs, that is something we choose. And I get it, that we all have to have a job if we're adults. We have to have a job, you know, for the most part in order to make money, pay the bills, all that sort of stuff. But which one we take ultimately is up to us. What line of work we get into, the specific job that we take is our choice. We do have options. And that thinking even bleeds into, you know, quote unquote, ministry at the church, or, you know, church ministry. 
Because that's something we choose to be a part of as well. In fact, if you choose to be involved, like Jeff said this morning, we're going to call you a volunteer. And thank you for your service, truly. But the problem is many people view ministry that way. And they don't necessarily view it biblically. And they view it as, as a volunteer thing that I can do, you know, or not do. Because we have this mindset that we are in control of us. I don't know if you paid attention to when I read Ephesians 4.1. We're talking about, you know, the, the, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called. But you know how that verse started? Paul called himself a prisoner of the Lord. I don't know how many people are volunteering for prison. Yeah, I don't know. But that's the mindset that we, we run into because it's, it's how we attack our physical life, that we're in control of us. And we'll do this for a while until it gets boring, until there's something better to do. And we don't necessarily attack it with a plan that there's actually something to accomplish. And if that's the way you view it, then you, you don't understand what this is really all about. So you need to pay attention this morning. Because when it comes to your course, your ministry for the Lord, that doesn't really come with options, and you aren't really in control. Well, I'll explain that. I told you two weeks ago that you don't have the privilege of choosing your course, but you do have the privilege of finishing it. And that is very true. It's similar to the fight we talked about last week. When you choose to enter God's family, you're enrolled as a soldier whether you like it or not. And in that same vein, when you choose to enter God's family, you're placed on a course, whether you like it or not. You've kind of been voluntold instead of volunteered. But you've been voluntold by the righteous judge. So you can't argue. Now, we do have a free will. That free will applies to us pre-salvation. It still applies post-salvation. And we do get to choose whether we are going to obey or not. But if, even if you choose not to obey, it doesn't mean you're not on a course. What it means is you're not going to finish it. You're not going to finish it. And that brings us to the second thing we need to define, and that is we need to define the command, which is just that, is to finish. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, Thanks for the real insight there, brother. The commands to finish. I, I, I can read. Uh, yes, I, I could have got that on my own. Well, yeah, you, you're, you're probably right. But I point that out because I know people, and I've been in ministry long enough. And I know that just like we talked about with, with the definition of course, that most people don't view it this way, the, the way that the Bible defines things. Because of our physical life, there's this comparison with our physical life and our spiritual life. So our physical life, we do view as a course. So we view it with stages and transitions. You know, as adults, maybe we're single, and then we're married, and then we're married with kids, and then we're empty nesters, and we have jobs, and we want to buy a house, and we have plans, and we have goals, and there's a course that we're on. And then it kind of goes to the end of our life, and then, you know, and then we die. And there's a course, and there's things you want to accomplish, and there's steps along the way. That's how most people view their physical life. But when it comes to their spiritual life, they don't come from this same viewpoint, a, a point to finish something. They just take each day as it comes and try to do right. Maybe try to spend a little bit of time with the Lord now and then and hope God is pleased when it's all said and done. Hope I did something right. I'm just going to kind of take it day by day. And there's no plan and there's no strategy and there's no thought of accomplishing goals and taking steps along the way. Again, we view our physical life that way, but our spiritual life is just like, okay, man, if, if God does something... I'll do something else. We'll, we'll just see what happens. And I'm going to try to live a good life. And, you know, maybe God will be pleased with that. 
Maybe he will, maybe he won't. I'll tell you what, that's not the biblical approach. As Paul said, he had a course. Last week we looked at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and we saw this race comparison. And Paul used those terms because that is exactly how he viewed his spiritual life, what God had for him to do. He saw it as having definite beginnings and endings. He saw it with a goal in sight to finish well and to receive crowns to the glory of God. He saw it as an exercise that included strategy and planning along the way. And since Paul viewed his life that way, we should as well. Our spiritual life is a race. And we've been placed on a, a, a very definitive, a definite course. And it should be our goal, and it is our responsibility, to finish that course. And to finish it to the glory of God. Making it an exercise of faith. Following this path. That has some, some obstacles along the way. It has some transitions and stages. And we're going to talk about all this. And it sounds good. And it sounds all right. Yeah, okay, I can get on board with that. And it, you know, it usually is all right until that trial hits and some confusion sets in. And so the danger of this exercise is to be able to keep running even during, the, during those times when you're weighed down by the travails of life. But listen, those, trail, those travails, while they can stop you, if you let them, they can also make you stronger for the rest of the course if you just approach them biblically. Because we don't want to stop, or we don't want to be stopped along the way. We want to finish. God has something in mind for you to accomplish. We want to finish it. And we want to finish it because there's coming a day, very soon maybe, that we're going to stand before that righteous judge. And we're going to answer for how we ran our race and if we finished it. Did you cross the line? And you don't want to stand ashamed in that day. So let's get on the course. Let's go win the darn thing. I mean, why would you want to do anything else? I mean, seriously, I don't get it. Let's get to work. Let's go do what God has for us to do. But anyway, now that we're on the same page with respect to those definitions, and that we're all starting from the same point, let's figure out how to do it, how to finish. This is our how-to series. We want to be able to help you take some practical things away with you to help you finish your course. So we're going to give you three keys to help you accomplish this responsibility. And our first key uh, to finishing your course is you need to surrender to the specificity. You need to surrender to the specificity. And what I mean by that is that you need to accept this fact that in conjunction with everything we just talked about, you specifically have been given a ministry to accomplish. We actually, we have already been talking about this when we went through those definitions. But God has placed every single one of us on a course. So that means you. It's not only for the pastors and the deacons and the life group leaders. As long as you are a Christian by being saved by the blood of Jesus, then you're included. And I think you probably noticed the words that, that Paul used in 2 Timothy 4.7. But just in case, let me show you. He said, I have finished my course. He didn't say, I have finished the course. You see, there's not just one generally for all. There is one specifically for each person. So that means your course is not joining a church and sitting in a pew on Sundays. Now, of course, all Christians should do that. But that's not the course. That's the training. Again, just think of a race. If you're going to run a marathon, you have to train. I mean, I know that you are in better shape than I am. But if I were going to run a marathon, it's going to be a while. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some changes. Maksud's been telling me this for a while, but, but he's right in this. So training is necessary, but training isn't the marathon. Yeah. 
The marathon's the marathon. So attending church is necessary, but it's not your course. So if that's how you define your spiritual life, well, yeah, I mean, I go, I go to First Baptist Church. Great. Thank you. Keep coming. But get on your course and get moving. Your course is something specific that God has for you to accomplish. There's a specific plan he has for you and your life. But listen, that is good news because it means God wants you. He has something in his purpose that is designed for only you to do. How cool is that? And this is important because this makes everyone in the body equal. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everyone is important and everyone has a purpose. And one of the dangers of the carnal Christianity that we all live in today is this temptation to look down upon or look with envy upon someone else's course. But both sides of that coin are, are dangerous for you personally. Because it doesn't matter what someone else is doing or not doing. The question is always, what does God have for you to do? And are you doing it? Worry about your course. And some of you are thinking, okay, I would. I don't know what my course is. I don't know what God has for me. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, that's fair, but there's answers. And the answer to that dilemma is twofold. First, there is a Bible principle that if you sincerely seek, you will find. So Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. And then you have one of the most popular verses uh, to share in this graduation season, Jeremiah 29, 11. I I, think it's a great verse. I love this verse. It bothers me the way it's used, but whatever. I'm going to use it Um, because I'm going to define it biblically. So Proverbs 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And, And that's great. But the passage doesn't end there. It goes on in, in verse 12 to say, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So God does have a great end for you, an expected end for you, that you're not going to see until you seek him. There's two sides to that coin. God, God has a role, and you do as well. You see, if you need an answer from the Lord, you can get it. But you do have to seek Him sincerely. And then beyond that, when it comes to the course for your life, well, I personally may not know the specifics for you. Here is what I do know. I I know that it involves investing the Word of God into the lives of others. It's the Word of God in the souls of men. We, we We can... we can boil Christianity down to a, a few basic key elements. And, and you see that in the Bible. That's why we can do it. That's how Paul defined his course and his ministry. We, earlier we looked at Acts 20, 24. But that's what he says. He says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to do what? To testify the gospel of the grace of God. See, Paul's course was about taking the gospel to the others, paving the way for the Gentiles. He had some pretty specific things in his course. We're actually going to look at them this morning. But it was about sharing the the word of God, investing the seed of the word of God into the lives of other men and women. And so if you don't know what your course is, I just ask you, what is the avenue in your life today where you can take what God has given you and give that to someone else? And I, and I know there's, because of, of, of sort of traditionally how we've defined church ministry, I, I think we've, we've generally done God a disservice because, you know, ministry isn't something that happens in the confines of this building. Ministry needs to be our life because it's what it is. It's our course. 
And so I think we confuse people sometimes. And so, you know, this is just one example. I don't, don't want to, like, you know, single out young mothers per se. But I think a lot of times young mothers, for example, might be confused. And it's like, man, I've got to, well, I can't even do, I've got, I, I can't even show up now. You guys aren't doing childcare. I can't even come to church. Well, well listen, what, what's the avenue that God's given you to share what the, the life you have in him to someone else? He's, he's given you your children. And there are stages in life. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. And so do that, man. That's where God has you for that time. Take his word and invest it into the lives of your kids. There's nothing greater you can do. There's no greater ministry that you have. And so whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, if you will look, you will always find yourself with an opportunity to share the life you have in Christ. And, and, and the word of God, the, the, the seed of the word of God that is inside you with someone else. And, and that may come through organized stuff, or maybe that comes in different ways that we don't necessarily think of as traditional quote-unquote ministry. But it is, man. That ministry is your job. It's your course. It's what God has for you to do. And so do that. Do, find the avenue and do it till you finish it. Do it till it's done. Okay, so, so for example, so I used the example of kids. Let me use it again. So when my wife and I had our children, we had some goals for them. Obviously, we, we all have physical goals for our children. We had spiritual goals for our children. They involved them getting saved. So you know what we did? We took steps. We lived our lives according to what the Bible had to say. We shared the gospel with them. We talked about those things. And guess what? There came a time in each one of their lives that they got saved. Amen. And we finished that course. And so this is just an example. I want you to think of this in these type of terms. So you finish it. You do it. You do what God has for you until it's done. And that may be a long time or it could be a short time. Because here's the second key to finish your course. And I was just starting to get into it. So first you need to surrender to the specificity. God has something specifically for you. But then second, you need to see the stages. And this one is a little more interesting. Because when it comes to your course for the Lord, you probably think of it in terms of one long singular race. But instead of one long singular race, you need to think of it more like a relay race. Jeff used this example in the announcements this morning. I appreciate that. You need to think of it like a relay race. You have a job to do for a certain amount of time, and then you pass the baton to someone else. And that is exactly what we talked about in our announcements this morning. We're actually in the middle of a number of transitions in our church ministry. And there's a lot that is very cool about that. And it's because of the truth of this second key to finishing your course. If you don't understand that there are, are stages in your spiritual life and on your spiritual course, then you risk staying too long in one place. When in truth, God has something else for you. And so for that reason, we celebrate all the changes. And I get it. Sometimes there is sadness that comes with changes due to relationships. But as leaders, we're able to recognize that means God is working in people's lives. And things are on the move. So that's exciting. So there are times in your spiritual course that you're passing the baton to someone else. But when you do that, that means there's a new stage for you. There's, a new, there's something more for you to do until you can't do it anymore. Until God takes you home. And this is so important to understand because the fact is if you want to finish the course, you can't skip any stages. And sometimes people want to move too quickly through life. And they get mad at us for slowing them down. But what we know that they don't is you have to finish stage one before you can move to stage two. In Acts chapter 9, we see the, the conversion story of Paul. And in that story, God lays out a few stages for Paul, actually. In Acts 9.15, look at what the Bible says. It says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. He's talking to Ananias, but for he is a chosen vessel unto me, talking about Paul, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So there's actually a few stages in there that God lays out for Paul. But listen, Paul wasn't bearing Christ's names to kings at the beginning of his ministry. It actually wasn't until Acts 25 and 26, before he, when he was before King Agrippa, that this verse was actually fulfilled in his life. And he had stages of his course that he had to go through that God used to prepare him for the next one, and the next one, and then being in front of kings. And I want to show you that in Scripture, so stick with me for a little bit. Because I want to move through the life of Paul, through the book of Acts, very quickly, just to show you some of the stages. We'll start in Acts chapter 11. And in that chapter, we, we, you know, we're seeing some of the beginnings of the, of the, the, the spread of the gospel and as, the, as the church of Jerusalem is literally spread about. And, and by Acts chapter 11, they end up in Antioch. And look at what it says starting in verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they'd assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians, first in Antioch. And these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto their brethren which dwelt in Judea. Which also they did. And sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so, so if you go back a little bit, the, we, we didn't read it, but the Jerusalem church sends Barnabas to check out what's happening in Antioch. And he goes and he sees the grace of God abounding. And so then he goes and gets Saul, who, you know, soon to be Paul. Um, and they minister there at Antioch, it says, for a year. And while they were there, this, this guy Agabus prophesies of a coming drought. And, and so these Christians at Antioch, they take up an offering. And they send it back with Barnabas and Saul when they return to, to Jerusalem. And so that's kind of what's going on in the story. But, but now look at Acts 12, 25. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. They fulfilled their ministry. You know what fulfilled means? It means finished. They finished their course when they returned from Jerusalem. So they took the offering and they took it back to the church of, of, of Jerusalem to, to be distributed in Judea. And you say, but wait, what do, you, what do you mean they finished? You know, Paul hadn't gone on any missionary journeys yet. Hadn't started any churches. Hadn't written any of the, the letters we have in our Bible. Hadn't done any of that. And, and you're right. He hadn't done any of that. But what, so what it means is they finished that stage. That stage where Saul was learning in Tarsus and in teaching in Antioch with Barnabas. There was a specific purpose that God had for them there. And that stage was done. But again, spiritual life isn't one singular race. It's a relay. Because immediately after that, now look at Acts 13. Verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. They sent them away. So pay attention to what happens here. Barnabas and Saul finished their course. In Acts 12, 25, finish that ministry, and then immediately the Holy Ghost works to do something new. Which, you know, turns out to be what we would call Paul's first missionary journey. But what you have to see is God never would have separated them unto a new work if they hadn't accomplished the previous work. And this is such an important lesson to learn, especially for young, excited Christians. And, and we just have a tendency. We, we want something new and fresh. We want a fresh vision and a new ministry. And people will get frustrated when things won't change for them. And if that's you, can I just lovingly ask you, did you finish your last stage? Did you accomplish all God had for you to do there? Did you finish that work? Did you have a plan? Did you have goals? Did you know what you were supposed to accomplish in that stage? Or did you leave something undone? 
Because why would God entrust you with something new when you didn't finish what he had entrusted you with before? Why do you want a new mission when you didn't complete your last assignment? Now look back at Paul. Skip to Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas are at the end of that first missionary journey. In verse 25, the Bible says, And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and then sailed to Antioch, and from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Another stage. They completed that mission. They finished that relay. And of course, Paul's ministry hadn't done yet. Nothing had gone into Europe yet. Nothing in Corinth, Ephesus. None of that. None of that had happened yet. But he had finished another stage. Then by the time you get to Acts 19, Paul just spent a couple years in Ephesus. The word of God was going forth mightily. And then verse 21, we see something else ends. Acts 19, 21, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And these things, these things that ended, at the beginning of that verse, those things were, was his ministry at Ephesus. Because shortly after verse 21, he, ran, he was ran out of town. Because everyone is getting saved and was putting a big dent in the idol-making industry of, of Ephesus and Princess Diana. You know, the goddess Diana. Not Princess Diana, that was weird. Goddess Diana. <laughs> but listen, the, the fact is, when you mess with people's money, they don't like it. And they didn't like it in Ephesus. So another stage is done. And listen, that is just how Paul's life went from one stage to the next. One ministry job to another. But he didn't start a new one until the previous one was finished. And this is a principle you see all throughout Scripture. Even with Jesus. He had a job to do, but it was multifaceted. He had stages. John 17, 4. Jesus, speaking to his Father, says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I mean, we've, we've been through this before. This is obviously before Jesus died. But he had finished the work that his Father had given him to do. He had finished that stage, and that stage was about training his disciples. Because in verse 6 of the same chapter, Jesus said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine were they, and thou gavest them me, and they've kept thy word. You see, if Jesus hadn't invested into those 12 men, the gospel would have died with him on the cross. He needed guys to then do his work. So that stage was about his disciples. And when that was accomplished, he could move on to the next stage of his course, and that was dying for you and me. John chapter 9, verse 30 when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And praise the Lord that Jesus saw stages. And he saw them, you know, coming in order. And guess what? The work of Jesus ain't done yet, man. Because he's coming back. He's got more work to do. And so we need to see stages as well. And, and I'll be the first to admit that, it, that it's sometimes difficult to see. And we've already talked about this briefly. But it's difficult, again, just, just because of who we are and we think of, of, of the control we have in our physical life and that bleeds over into our spiritual life. And, and either we don't like change or we want to change too quickly. But what you have to learn is that change is a good thing as long as it is in God's timing. It has to be God's timing. You don't want to manufacture change. You want God to bring about a work. And that's exciting and that's good because it means there's something new. Something new coming. So you have to recognize the end of things. And you have to be okay with it. And if you don't know how, you do that. And if you don't understand how to see the end of things and the beginning of things and where the stages are and the, the changes are in life, Listen, it's just by the same tried and true method that we've always talked about. It's confirmation from God's Word. It's His Holy Spirit bearing witness. It's, it's coming from counsel and guidance from leaders and spiritual mentors. And it's just the providence of circumstance. And you look for God's hand and what He's doing in your life. 
but, but you've got to think it through. And when you're where you're at, you've got to think, what is it that God wants me to accomplish here? And then let me go do it. Let me go accomplish it. And let's see what God has next. And like I said, sometimes that's tough. And sometimes it can be tough because you have a vision for your current role, the current thing you're doing that is beyond you. In fact, if you're a leader in any type of role, you have to have a vision that is beyond everyone else. But by virtue of that, that means the vision might even be beyond you. But you don't get to decide when, what, 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 the, what this stage looks like. Again, this is a course you've been given by God. So you don't get to decide, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. Well, this, it's, you need to listen and you need to hear from God what he wants you to do. So here's, let me give you an example. A good example of this is Moses. I think many of us in here, even maybe myself included before this study, um, and I think Moses himself probably thought his job was to take Israel into the promised land. We all know this story. We, we obviously spent a number of months in the book of Numbers and the wilderness wanderings. And we know that Moses did not go into the promised land because of his sin. It was very clearly stated in Scripture. He, he struck the, the rock. He actually struck it twice. And because of that sin, and, and, and we talked about that when we were there in Numbers chapter 20, he, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. But what we might not have known is at least according to Scripture, that doesn't appear to be part of his course. And, you know, I could be wrong. I, I, I studied a fair bit on this and, and tried to run all the references, and there's maybe one I missed. But, but I don't think that was part of his course. And now, what I do think is God would have let him in. I, I think that's what Scripture describes when it says you're not allowed to go in because of your sin. That wasn't the job God had called him to. Look at Exodus chapter 3. We obviously have the verses up here. And I want you to pay very close attention to the words. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father in the law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. All right, so this is, this is where you know, God meeting with Moses and giving him his, his marching orders. Now skip down to verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. So God's plan always was to deliver Israel out of the hand of Egypt and take them into the promised land. But look very specifically, uh, very closely at the next verse, what he asked Moses to do. Verse 10, come now therefore, I will send thee, Moses, unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Period. And if you keep looking through scripture with respect to Moses, you will see similar language every time. God always said he would bring them into the land. Moses' job was to get them out of Egypt. And he finished that course. And I know that he sinned, but he finished his course. And I think Hebrews chapter 11 bears that out. It ends with him crossing the Red Sea. And, and there's actually more verses given to Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 than any other Bible character. There's not another word after they cross the Red Sea. And everyone, I think including Moses, assumed that he was going to be the one to take him into the land. Listen, I know this sounds weird. It sounds weird to me because Moses had 40 more years of life. And he did the work of the Lord for those 40 years, ministering and, and leading those people. But God had a specific mission for him. And he did that. And listen, what was beyond him, he even had a vision for it. He could see it. 
God even allowed him to see it. Like if you, we don't have time to go there, but if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 3, he's able to look and he's, he can see the land. He even asked, you know, he, he's, he's telling, he's recounting, and he's, he's telling the nation of Israel, I asked God one more time, man, can I go? Can I just go? Can I, take, can I be the one? And you know what his response was? Um, it, it's the same thing he told Paul. Go look, it's Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse like 25 through 29. It's the same thing he told Paul when Paul asked him about his thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient. He said, suffice it to thee. Uh, listen, there's some things that we need to learn about our course in this life. And what God has for us and what he doesn't have for us. And like I said, sometimes we have a vision for something. And we think it's for us, but it's not. And you just have to let God be God and roll with his changes and just accomplish what you know he has for you to do. So don't be too arrogant in your walk with the Lord that you think you have to do more. Just do the job. But, but then on the flip side of that, don't be, you know, I, don't, I know a better way to say it. Don't be too humble that you're not willing to do something else. That you're not willing to do something bigger. And, you know, the, the natural thing that we usually hear is, like, man, someone, you know, man, we need you to step up in ministry. It's like, oh, man, I'm not. I'm not worthy. For that. You know, if you only knew me. Listen, if you only knew me, ain't none of us worthy. So you can't use that as your excuse. And, and by the way, show me anywhere in the Bible where your personal worthiness is even factored into anything. If you were worthy, you wouldn't need God's grace. So, you know, you're kind of messed up in your doctrine there. But. So don't be too arrogant, but also don't be too humble. When you finish the stage, God has something else for you. If he still has you here, he still has something else for you. Even Moses, he still had something else for Moses. It just wasn't taking him in the promised land. So be ready to move. So you need to be able to see the stages. This will help you in your spiritual course. God has something for you to accomplish. But if you're unable to see those stages and those changes and those shifts, you're going to stumble. So you need to see the, the stages. And then last, our third key for how you finish your course, is you need to stand against the struggle. You see, when you first got on the course for the Lord, what you didn't know is that it was an obstacle course. You thought it was a golf course and you're going to be cruising around in a nice little cart. No, that's not it. That's not it. It's an Ironman obstacle course, has hurdles, the whole nine, like everything. So to finish your course, you have to be able to, to combat those hurdles. You have to be able to jump over them. You have to be able to move around them, whatever. And the way you do that is to stand. This is where we started to go. We, we talked about this last week. We've actually talked about this quite a bit in the two weeks with respect to our, our, our enemies, our, th our three enemies, um, the world, the flesh, the devil. Now, this shouldn't come as a big surprise to you that the three responsibilities we've been given out of 2 Timothy 4-7 um, that, you know, that we're working to accomplish are each opposed primarily by one of the three enemies. Now, again, everybody works in conjunction with each other, but, but there's a, a, a primary response. We'll show you that. But if you remember last week, we talked about fighting a good fight. We saw how the fight, that's against the flesh. The fight is against the flesh. That's the primary opposition. But when we talk about finishing our course, our biggest obstacle is the world. And that's because the world has its own course. It's a different course than God's. Ephesians 2.2, where in a time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So like I said, the world has its own course. And that course is in direct opposition to the course you're trying to finish for the Lord. And since the primary opposition is the world, the command, we talked about this last week, is to stand. That's the command that we've been given. When, when, the, when, the, when the enemy is the flesh, we fight. When the enemy is the world, we stand. That's why if you go back to Acts 20, again, I think maybe the fourth time we will be there, or third time we'll be there, and dissect Paul um, laying out his plans and desires to finish his course, look at how he describes it. Now I want to back up a couple of verses uh, to start at verse 22. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit, again, he's a prisoner of the Lord, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, 
save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said the afflictions, they didn't move him. Because he was just going to stand. He was going to stand strong in the face of them. Because if he, he knew that if he didn't, he wouldn't finish his course. And listen, if the struggles of this world ultimately get to you and you can't overcome them, then you'll get off track. And every temptation and every enticement of the world is about just that, pulling you from what you are meant to be doing with your life. And those enticements can actually be anything. And it's different for each person. It could be money, it could be lust, it could be respect, it could be a job, it could be your family. And like we talked about last week, our enemies know our weaknesses. And, and they know where to attack us. And listen, sometimes it is very subtle. Because the attack can be related to a good thing. So for example, there's everything good about serving and, and giving your life to your family and and seeing your kids involved in, in different things in this life and, and investing in, in them. All that is great. But if it ever comes at the expense of you doing your job for the Lord, then that's a problem. Because you've elevated a good thing over the main thing. Now again, God's given you a job to do with your children. And there's a stage there. Do that. But if you're doing other stuff that's, that's confusing their course... Man, that's not what you should be doing. There's a difference in doing a good thing and the right thing. So the, the problem in that scenario isn't that you love your family. The problem is you love your family more than the Lord. And we've talked about this a lot, but things like that can be the struggle. It doesn't have to be intense suffering or persecution that we might sometimes think about. It can simply be distraction. And again, we talked about this last week. The world is more about temptation and enticement, just drawing you off God's course unto its course. Because again, we're made to be on a course. And so if the world, they can just get you to think, listen, man, I got him on my course, and now he thinks he's doing something. Because he's progressing, and he's moving forward. And things are changing, and things are happening, and he's getting promotions, and, and, and life is good. And it does seem like life is good. It's just that you're on the world's course. And you're not on God's course. You've got to keep those straight. There's actually a great passage in Acts 27 that describes all this pretty well. We, we don't have time to devote to it. In, in, in fact, it's an entire sermon on its own. I don't suppose you want me to start on another entire sermon right now. Um, but anyway, what you find there is, is Paul's on a journey that wasn't his choice. He was a little, literal prisoner. Um, again, like we're supposed to be for the Lord. And, and what you see is that many people are saved in this journey um, due to his relationship with God. And there's a beautiful picture that's painted there. But in the process of this journey um, across the Mediterranean Sea, ultimately to end up in Rome, um, in their course, they run into some different winds along the way. And those winds paint some really cool pictures of the type of winds and distractions and and, and desperation and different things that we face uh, when we go through our course of life. And, and, and maybe we'll, you know, we'll, we'll give you that sermon one day. But the point is, we face attacks throughout our course. There are the, the, those hurdles. And they come from different directions at different times. And you've got to be able to navigate that course and manage those winds if you want to successfully get to your final destination, if you want to finish your course. And that's the call. Because none of us want to meet the Lord and hear him ask us, why didn't you finish? Why'd you stop? Why'd you change courses? I had it all mapped out for you, but in your pride you didn't see the transitions and you got off track. And how sad would that be? We have a job to do. So are you doing it? You know, I hope that you are, but I know that in the church that 
you know, it, the general church overall today, there's a lot of unfinished business. So some people aren't. So you need to ask yourself this morning, have I accepted the challenge? Have I surrendered to the specificity that there is something God has for me to do? And if you haven't, start today. Because that's the problem with that first point. We have too many Christians that just don't start. And they get saved, and they come to church, and, and, you know, and they'll attend, but they don't start on the course. There's nothing else that they're really doing for the Lord. And they never get out of the block. So if that's you, start today. Get discipled. Get involved in ministry. Share Christ with your neighbors. Make a plan to spend time with God every day. Ask God to show you what he has for you. And if you seek him sincerely, he'll do that. But maybe there are some of you that got started. And you were on the course, man. You were making good time. But something happened. And there was a transition. And there was a change. A new stage in life came or ministry changed. But you didn't change. And it kind of just left you wandering. And you want to serve the Lord, but you want it like it was before. And, and your problem isn't that you didn't start. Your problem is you didn't adjust. Your problem is flexibility. And now you're at risk for not finishing. So if that's you, ask God to show you clearly the next stage. The past is gone, but the mission is still the same. So what's next? No excuses. Get back on the course, get to work. But there, there are still others that were on the course, and a wind came, and the wind knocked you off track, or it just made you quit the race altogether. You, ju you jumped courses, and the world enticed you, and you're fully on its course. So for you, the problem is you did, it wasn't that you didn't start or that you didn't adjust. The problem for you is you didn't survive. The struggles were too strong. And if that's you, you need to repent. And you need to go back to the last place you know for a fact that you were on the course. Go back there and start again. Go back there, humble yourself, and put yourself back in the race. And maybe you're thinking, uh, again, I'm not even sure. I don't know if I'm on the course. Well, 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 let me just say, and I don't know how else to say it. If you don't know if you're on the course, you're probably not. But who am I? So let me give you a true test. If you know, first of all, you need to ask yourself if you're saved. You need to find out, have you, have you, has there been a time in your life that you placed your faith, the finished work of Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Have, have you given him your life and exchanged your life for his? And if you, if you can answer yes to that, well, then let me give you a test. If you feel purposeless and not satisfied and you're missing something down deep, then you're not on the course. Because the course, as hard as it may be at times, comes with joy and satisfaction that you cannot get anywhere else. That's why when Paul said in Acts 24 that I might finish my course with joy. Because that's what the work of the Lord brings. It brings joy. Now, it brings pain. And it brings suffering too. But this is how you know you're on the right course. When you can have joy in the midst of the pain and suffering, and it's from the Lord. And not only joy, but true deep satisfaction in your life in John chapter 4 after after Jesus had been with the woman in the well and his disciples go off and get some food and, the, and they come back and he wouldn't even eat it and, and they don't even really know how, how to process it because they hadn't eaten all day long but Jesus explained it to them in John 4 34 when he said Jesus said unto them my meat is to do the, uh, the will of the one that sent me and to finish his work that's what sustained him that's what gave him satisfaction. It wasn't even the physical food. It was this, the job, the course that his father had put him on. And what gave him satisfaction was to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And finishing your course is the only thing that will bring you true satisfaction in this life and the life to come. So you can know. 
Now let me give you our, our key takeaways, and we're out of time, but let me give these to you real quickly, and then we'll be done. Again, just to help you, give you some practical tools. So first, finishing your course should be the primary outward focus of your life. Last week we talked about fighting your flesh should be the primary inward focus of your life. So we talk about what, what you need to do internally. The flesh fights, you need to renew your mind. So what you need to do to renew your mind to, to be the person God wants you to be is you need to spend time in the Word of God. You need to build that relationship. You need to continually renew your mind. You need to fight your flesh. That's inward. Okay, well, when we talk about outward, what do I need to be doing with my physical life? This is it. This involves our physical bodies. It's our work. It's our job. And as we consider our priorities for how we spend our time and what we do with our life, finishing our course for the Lord should be the focus. Okay, so that's one. Then second, finishing your course means shifts and struggles didn't stop you. Listen, there are going to be changes in your life and ministry. There are going to be wins and distractions that try to knock you off course. Stay focused on him and his, and his work instead of the transitions and the trials. Hebrews 12.1. For foreseeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God.